If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's completely free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to Strictly Sports. I am Jacob Brown, joined here with CJ Yuri. We're back on FAU Owl Radio today for the first time since uh, all this went down with quarantine. We're happy to be back. Uh, today, Steve got to work. Uh, he will be on next episode for sure. And uh, him and I are probably going to post another podcast this week going over the MLB trade deadline, which sent shockwaves through the league with a few trades. Um, but today, we're back on FAU Owl Radio. If you don't know, uh, we're actually now on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Uh, so if you just search the name Strictly Sports uh, in on those platforms, you can find us. Uh, with you, you, you can see my name, Jacob Brown, then CJ Yuri, Stephen Cashin, listed on the logo as well. Um, so you guys can check it out if you didn't catch this whole show live on those podcast platforms. And then we also uh, release additional episodes beyond the ones that we do here at FAU All Radio. But CJ. Uh, FAU football is coming up soon. We have the schedule released. Uh, according to the Conference USA betting uh, on, on who's going to be the top team, UAB currently sits at number one with FAU at number three. And this is actually kind of understandable from a, a few different standpoints. Number one being Chris Robeson left the team uh, kind of out of nowhere. Uh, I was talking with the FAU uh, sports reporters at, uh, over at UP. They were saying that they had knowledge that he was not attending offensive workouts during the offseason. Uh, and they should they, they were saying maybe we should have been more on that story because he ends up just not showing the camp at all. And now he's not part of the FAU roster, which, you know, definitely shocks some people. So now Nick Tronti is going to have to be the quarterback. So not only is Lane Kiffin gone with a new head coach, not necessarily a bad thing, just a change in system, but there's also a new quarterback now. Uh, how do you view FAU football going into this season? Um, I'm not as worried about the offense as I'm going to be worried about the defense uh, this year. I think that um, we've lost a lot of players on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, key players being uh, Miko Dotson and Rashad Smith. Uh, I actually am very, I'm still very much confused on whether or not Achilles Leroy is playing. I don't know if he is or not. Um, but I'm just going to assume right now that it's a question mark, which is not good. He's the, he's a heart and soul guy for that defense, which is not good. Um, but the offense losing Robeson stinks. I really do think though that Toronto can win the conference this year. Uh, I, I think he's a very good, um, comparison to like a Taysom Hill, Tim Tebow type quarterback. Um, that's going to be a gamer. He's going to move the sticks however he can. Uh, he's going to lower the shoulder if he gets out in space. He's going to be fun to watch, and he's got a lot of weapons. Uh, so, look, I still think that if you're betting on who's going to win the conference this year, I still think that FAU is your team, although UAB is has uh, lower odds uh, to win Conference USA. But for me, um, I'm not really even pencil like, you know, 
circling the Conference USA Championship. This year, I'm, I'm circling that USF game because we desperately need that to, to win that to show the AAC two times in a row because the last AAC team we played was SMU. Two times in a row that we can beat your teams in the conference right above, and we can beat the teams that are in our ba- our recruiting backyard. It's a huge game for moving up in the conference implications at some point down the line. Not saying that's sometime soon, but some to- some point down the line, build that resume resume of beating AAC teams, and also show recruits that we're the place to be and not USF. So that's the game I'm circling this year, but. We'll see more about what we need to fix week one because Georgia Southern is, will not be a cupcake team for us. Georgia Southern plays good football. Yeah, I completely agree with you on all fronts there. And, uh, you know, ta- you just talked about recruits coming to FAU. Well, FAU had a great recruiting class. Uh, Willie Taggart's first round of doing that. Obviously, I think most people saw that FAU uh, recruited quarterback Shador Sanders, son of NFL Hall of Famer Deion Sanders. Uh, So that was huge. And as of June 29th, I haven't found an updated article yet, uh, but as of that day, FAU had landed 15 verbal commitments for the 2021 recruiting class that led Conference USA. Uh, And it was also the top recruiting class in the conference. So that's really bright signs for what Taggart's trying to create here in Boca. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I I mean, I I still think that you know, what I was saying back in uh, December when we found out that Kiffin wasn't going to be coaching. Uh, and, you know, you and I were in the room. We had uh, Jacob Henson online, good f- or, or on the mic, good friend of mine. Um, and he's well-connected with uh, college football athletics. And um, I guess what we were saying was is we're not going to skip a beat with recruiting with Willie Taggart. In fact, it might get even better, which in a way it's – kind of gotten better with with Willie Taggart. I feel like, you know, we've we've secured some bigger names. Uh, while I feel like Lane Kiffin, while he was at FAU, was very big on transfers uh, right. um, from other schools, which we've gotten transfers through Willie Taggart, but I think the, the recruiting class this year is going to be stronger than – this year and next year is going to be stronger than anything that Lane had um, – at FAU. Now, the thing that I'm more worried about is how that's going to translate on the field. But the thing is, it's not like we're at a Power 5 program. Willie Taggart, the past past couple coaching gigs, has has been at, you know, in the Pac-12 and the ACC. He's going to have a much, much uh, needed downgrade in opposition skill and uh, resources. And um, he's won at the QSA level before, and I don't think that there's any reason why he can't do it again multiple years in a row. FAU has the resources, the recruits, and the mentality to be winning CUSA every year. I think really for FAU fans, and I was talking to Jacob Henson again and a couple of my friends the other day, um, you know, over text, and we were just saying the expectation now for FAU is to win the conference. What we're pencil, what we're circling uh, on the schedule is those tougher games as our must-win games. So it's just a huge uh, reshape in mentality for FAU fans and FAU football culture, which is huge. And I don't think they're going to skip a beat with Willie. Just concerned a little bit about that defense. Yeah, I, I, agree, I agree with you. And, uh, you know, we're looking at that schedule now. Like you said, we open up against Georgia Southern, then the USF game, which, by the way, on September 26th, uh, me and J.P. Acosta will be calling that game live on FAU Owl Radio. So you just have to go to FAUOwlRadio.com. To listen to that, that'll be 6 o'clock p.m. That'll also be on TV 
on CBS Sports Network. Then FAU gets Charlotte at home. Then Southern Miss and Marshall on the road. Then UTSA at home. Western Kentucky at home. And then they go on the road to finish the season with FIU and Middle Tennessee. I think a big thing about this season that people kind of are glossing over or really haven't thought about yet is home field advantage doesn't really matter at all this season. Um, now, we know that Miami, uh, the college, and the NFL team are letting fans in their stadium, and that's in the state of Florida. But because I think that the FAU stadium is on campus, I live right across the street from it here at IVA, uh, I don't think that they're going to have fans in the stadium. So as far as FAU home games go, uh, that might be a little bit difficult to not be able to feed off the home crowd. And, you know, going on the road, same thing. You don't have that adversity. So it's almost like the best football team should theoretically win these games. Uh, so do you think it will help FAU with no home crowd, going on the road with no crowd there? Or would you rather have that dynamic in there no matter what? I'd rather have the dynamic in there no matter what. But um, it's not like we're going away to play Minnesota this year. It's not like we're right. going away <laughs> to play Ohio State or UM. So we're just playing teams that we normally play. Now, there's right. a few teams in Conference USA that always have a very good home crowd, um, such as LA Tech, Marshall. UAB, et cetera. Um, but, you know, like, you know, as you said, is what it is. I do think that it's going to be similar crowds for CUSA regardless. Uh, they're going to be allowing fans in the games. And it, that's not, it's just not going to matter if you, if you know what I'm saying. It, it, I, I if they sure. say, like, if FAU says we'll allow 10,000 fans in the stadium, well, if 10,000 fans go, that's kind of a normal FAU game. It's right. going to be the same type of atmosphere. Now, for that USF game, I think they would have gotten much closer to a full barn for that game. But unfortunately, we can't do that. But I know that they're going to do uh, something for students and season ticket holders, um, socially distant seating. But I do think that there's going to be around 10,000 people allowed at the game out of the 30,000 stadium. And um, which will be good. I just think that the, you know, those seniors on that on these teams around all of the, the nation deserve to have some sort of people watching their games on uh, Saturdays. And look, I don't at all agree with, you know, any teams going above like 13,000 fans at their stadium. I think it's a little too risky for the students and the football players. But look, Iowa State said yesterday or two days ago, I don't know when, that they're allowing 25,000 fans in the stadium. So yeah. <laughs> some places are just going to wing it. I, I don't know. but Bama too, I think. But yeah, for, for Conference USA, I don't, I don't really think it's going to be this, um, you know, crazy difference, if you will. I think what this will do is, is that when FAU says it will allow X amount of fans, I think that those amount of fans are going to go because people are dying for some sort of in-person entertainment and would love, and the students would love nothing more because they can't tailgate. I don't think that right. tailgate, tailgating is going to be allowed. Tail, first of all, tailgating at FAU is massive. Like I don't okay. care what anyone says. Tailgating at FAU is nuts. And that, that walkway that the players go down – during tailgate season, and everyone's going absolutely nuts. It's reminiscent of any Power 5 walk into the stadium, literally. And that sucks that they're not going to have that, but at least you're going to be able to go to the game, which is the purpose of tailgating. So, But for Conference USA, as, as your original question was, I don't think that the change this year is going to be that drastic. It's going to be big for the Power 5 schools. Yeah, I mean, uh, I agree with you on that, too. But uh, I, I really didn't even know that FAU was planning on having fans. So that's great news uh, for us that we'll get to go to those games. 
Um, you know, that would have been tough, you know, because not all of them are on TV. You have to have ESPN Plus for some of them. So, you know, it's nice to know that at least fans will be allowed and uh, we can go to the games. But now we're going to shift into the NFL because there's actually been some NFL trading news. I know I said last week we were going to do AFC, NFC previews this week. Um, but we still have another week to go before NFL starts next Thursday. So we're just going to talk about the recent news that's been going on. And the main thing has been Yannick Ngakwe uh, finally being traded away from the Jacksonville Jaguars to the Minnesota Vikings. Ngakwe will be receiving a contract extension there for only one year, although he has said that his intent is to stay in Minnesota uh, for the long term. Jacksonville didn't get that much of a return. I think they got a third-round pick and then a conditional fifth. A lot of people thought that with Jacksonville holding out for this long that they get a much larger return. Um, for me, he had to leave anyway. Jacksonville had to get rid of him. They didn't really have a lot of leverage, although you could look at the Jamal Adams situation and say, well, the Jets had no leverage either, and they got an amazing return for Jamal Adams. The only difference is Jamal's a top safety in the game. and Gakwe, he might have been the best Jags defender, but he's not one of the better defenders in the NFL yet. Um, still, though, he could have gotten more of a value. I know J.P. Acosta he writes for uh, SB Nation for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He released an article. I'll put it in the description. And, uh, you know, he kind of talked about the Ngakwe trade and, and what it means for the Jaguars. And then uh, we'll get into this in a little bit, too. But the Jags also released Leonard Fournette, which shocked people. Uh, coach, The head coach said, we couldn't find any offers. Nobody was willing to grab, not even for a fifth-round pick, sixth-round pick. Uh, so they just had to cut him. And JP also released an article on that saying how Fournette doesn't really fit into the new Jacksonville offensive system. Uh, so we'll address the Ngakwe stuff first. I think it's amazing for the Minnesota Vikings. First of all, they had an amazing draft. I think arguably they had the best draft in the National Football League. You look at Stephon Diggs leaving. They replace him with Justin Jefferson on the offensive side. They lose two corners, Trey Waynes and Xavier Rhodes. They drafted Jeff Gladney and um, blanking on the name here, but they drafted a oh Dantzler. Uh, Cam Dantzler, so they added two corners to replace him. They lost Linval Joseph, replaced him with Michael Pierce at the defensive tackle side. Then they add Yannick Ngakwe. They also drafted a linebacker, Troy Dye. So this team, the Vikings, have really been adding to a defense that's been losing some of their veterans, now adding some younger guys. I, I really like this Minnesota Viking team. I think they can win the NFC North. Uh, what's your take on this whole Jaguar-Viking situation? Um. So I just to, to I'll make a quick point on the Vikings. They've definitely assembled a damn good roster um, and they'll go. That team is good enough in every aspect of the game, apart from QB, to be a Super Bowl winning team. So that team will only go as far as Kirk Cousins. Right. So if Kirk Cousins. Honestly, I think that the approach that Kirk Cousins should take this year is that he does not need to win the game. He just needs to be the reason why they do not lose the game <laughs> because every other aspect of the Minnesota Vikings is top notch. So as long as Kirk Cousins can go into a game and be average or slightly above average, does not need to play hero football. They will win games now for the Jaguars. Um, this is painful for Jag fans. Uh, the few of them that are out there. And um, Yannick Ngakwe was a good guy and a fan favorite for the Jaguars. He wanted out. He's been wanting out for months, so good for him. He gets out of there, but, you know, at least they get something from him. Uh, Leonard Fournette being waived is just bizarre to me. I mean, the Dolphins traded Kenyon Drake last year to a team that had David Johnson, and they still yeah. got something for Kenyon Drake. They couldn't get a damn thing for Leonard Fournette, and I do think that Fournette was a bit of a 
locker room issue. I mean, there were a bunch of reports going out around there that he, you know, wasn't really well liked in the Jags, uh, in the Jags organization. Um, and then what the Jags are doing is literally what the Miami Dolphins are doing. And I think people need to realize, or the, what the Miami Dolphins did. But the thing that the people need to realize is that the Jags had the best defense in the league. The Jags had a top 10 running back in the league. The Jags had a lot. And I actually didn't mind their coaching staff. And I like their front office for the most part. But what team is going to win with that quarterback situation that they've had the past four years? No yeah. one. And the drafting has been horrendous. They've had, they had six straight years of top five picks. And I don't even know if any of them are on the team anymore. It's just like, holy crap, terrible. And the thing is, is it's like, you sit there, it's like, oh my God, this, like, if you're a Jaguars, you're like, this sucks, you know, this, this sucks really. Look, teams go through it, but you, what you got to do is you got to start fresh with guys that have never been in the organization before, some, some rookies, some free agents that are locker room guys and get it, get the culture turned around. But the thing is, is it just shows the rest of the league. You can have the best defense in the league. You can have a top 10 running back. You can have a average O-line. But you're not going to go anywhere unless you have a quarterback. And it just shows the league. Get quarterback right, the rest of it will fall into place. Yeah, and I think they're definitely trying to tank uh, and, and try and draft either Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, or Justin Fields, I should say, uh, when the NFL draft comes around. Uh, so that could be, you know, obviously that's that's franchise changing because if you look at their draft this year, at least they had a top draft as well. I had them ranked number five in the league. Uh, they drafted C.J. Henderson uh, from Florida uh, with their number nine pick. Uh, they did lose out on on uh, Derek on uh, I believe his name is Derek Brown. Uh, a lot of teams were interested in him and uh, the Jags weren't able to get him. But they also drafted Chase on Chano, uh, Davon Hamilton, offensive tackle uh, Ben Barch. Uh, Josiah Scott, Shaquille Quarterman, uh, they, they had a ton of picks. They also signed Joe Schobert to a five-year deal, uh, the cornerback Denard to a three-year deal. Uh, so they, they definitely seem to be retooling for a potential quarterback like Lawrence to come in next year. And, uh, yeah, this could be a really quick turnaround, just like the Miami Dolphins last year. Like you said, everyone had them written off going into last year. Their head coach uh, was like, hey, we're, we're still a good team. We can win football games. They end up winning football games and getting themselves into the perfect situation to draft Tua Tagovailoa. And they also had a top 10 draft. I had them at number six, right below the Jags for the best draft, one of the best drafts in the NFL. Uh, so Jags are on a very similar trajectory. Uh, but as JP pointed out, Miami changed their GM and their head coach. Jacksonville didn't do that. So that, that's the only thing that they haven't changed. That hierarchy at the top that's kind of remaining the same. They just keep trying to replace the players. This is the last chance for Doug Marone. If he can't have it work with a top-of-the-line quarterback like Lawrence or Fields, he's got to be fired. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's I can't disagree with that. But the thing is, is what, like, I don't, if you didn't replace him now, how can you replace him after next year when you're actually tanking? Right, so he's in it now, right. He's so now in it's like he's, he's clearly just going to stay. At least he's got two or three more years, so you, that's your coach. So you better hope he figures it out. Or can, That's the thing, though. When, you, when you're going through a culture change, don't you want a new guy to come in? Exactly. That, that, no, that's that's Doug, I, like, I, don't, I actually like Doug Marone. I think, he, I, I, I think he's a good coach, and I, I kind of like the way he, 
conducts the sideline, and I, I like the way he conducts himself, to be honest. But I don't know. I feel like there's some better – like, like if you're going to go through a rebuild, then rebuild with a new coach, in my opinion. Exactly. Unless the, the higher-ups are like, I like the culture that's here. We needed new guys. We needed new players. But I don't know. It's a little bizarre to me. I agree. But um, clearly the GM hasn't really been doing it, hasn't been cutting it. So maybe yeah. you should have changed the GM and got somebody that is up and coming or has been there, done that with a rebuild. Because you, it, it, it's, it's on him and a few other guys to pick. Like this upcoming draft is huge. I think they have five picks in the first two rounds or something like that. Yeah, they're, you they're... need to hit on three out of those five. Like you need to have like like starting caliber players going forward, jag players for the next five years, if you will, at the at the least. And I don't know if he's ex- displayed the ability to do that. Yeah, I mean it'll be interesting to see. But again, like I said, quarterback changes everything. You get the QB in there. Who knows what can happen? I mean, Trevor, they're saying, might be one of the best college QBs to come out in a while. Obviously, Justin Fields' stock's going to go a little bit down because it looks like he's not going to be playing. Although there is some news around the Big Ten uh, concerning they might be revoting on trying to move up the season uh, to start Thanksgiving week, which is, again, the Big Ten is just, uh, and this might be a little separate tangent here, but the Big Ten, really, uh, they're making really ill-advised decisions um, there's been reports that even people within their rankings have been coming out disputing the medical reports that are saying the Big Ten just can't play. Also, Kevin Warren, the commissioner of the of the Big Ten, his son is playing in the SEC. So it's almost like the definition of hypocrisy there is his son's playing in the SEC, but he's not giving his own conferences players the opportunity. Uh, we've also seen parents start to protest at all of these Big Ten schools saying, hey, we want our kids to play. I mean, you look at the SEC, the ACC, they're playing. The Big 12, Conference USA, they're playing football this season. The Big 10s are like, nope, Pac-12, nope. Uh, so I feel like, you know, once they start seeing these these uh, top 25 rankings come out and their teams aren't in there anymore, they might start to sit there and be like, huh, I don't know, you know, we might be losing some big publicity here, uh, some big bowl game opportunities, playoff opportunities. It becomes financial at some point, so... I feel like the Big Ten is going to be forced to reverse their decision here because all the medical reports are coming in. It's just proving. I mean, you look at the NFL. The NFL has had zero positive tests, and they've been practicing for weeks. They had 70, I believe the number was 77 false positives come in uh, that came in for COVID tests for the NFL. They all came back completely negative after the false positive. So, NBA, no cases, NHL, no cases, baseball's had two teams that because of idiotic players have had breakouts. The other 28 teams have been completely fine. The Big Ten and Pac-12 should absolutely be playing, and I think their hands are going to be forced. Yeah, so I guess the way that I see this is it's a classic, classic case of we made a decision way too soon and off of raw emotion and it was too hasty for the big 10 to be outsmarted by conference usa aac hell even the acc i mean look the big the big 10 has some of the most trademark staple college football programs in the country michigan ohio state wisconsin the list goes on 
and these and you're and you're the first conference is like we will not be playing. And then on top of that, you're gonna say let's play late fall. Well, late fall is pretty much early winter, and, right? and you are the Big Ten, who's for the most part, or I think every single team is in a cold weather environment towards the end of yeah, no dome. Which what does that mean? That's peak COVID time anyway. So that's exactly. when you're gonna start your season. There was I don't know who is the decision maker in, in the Big Ten or who their board of of analysts are, their board of trustees, whatever, whoever their their board is in the Big Ten that makes these decisions. Those guys need to go because that's an awful, awful decision. Because you, you can't you can't backtrack like that. You can't go. I'm not going to play. Okay, we kind of want to play. Okay, but we're going to start in winter. It just makes no sense. It makes no sense. It makes absolutely zero sense. And now they're backtracking, and they look terrible for it. And they're getting all the all the publicity they deserve, which is negative publicity. When all these other schools waited a couple more weeks, it just you needed a couple more weeks. Let let me see what the how the NFL is doing because we're going to be conducting a very similar program style, you know, like like with practicing and, and everything. Let's see how that's going. Let's see where the cases are going. Oh. Okay, so the cases are basically null and void, and on top of that, they're actually saying that they're going to have upwards of ten thousand fans at the stadium. Okay, so now yeah. we have that, we have that uh, going for us. Now the MLB has been basically COVID-free for two weeks now and hasn't had any any negative co- coronavirus publicity. Okay, so they're traveling all over the country with no travel restrictions, and they look just fine. NBA, NHL, killing it. Why not wait for all that? But all they did it was it was a hasty, reactionary, emotional decision, raw emotion decision by them, and they really botched it, big time. Yeah. And now they're backtracking, and backtracking looks worse than staying with your decision. I completely agree. I mean, you just have to make the the, the decisions based on facts, and this isn't to get political or anything. But you look at the numbers for that particular age group for college football players; they're essentially at no risk of serious uh, consequences for this virus. You know, if they get the virus, they might have very low symptoms. You have to remember something. These players are some of the top, tip-top physical players in the, or I should say athletes, in the world. You know, these are young 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds, 22-year-olds that are at the top physical point in their careers. If they get the virus, we've even heard. I mean, most athletes that have been getting it, there's only been, you know, Freddie Freeman that's notable that said he had a bad time. But most of these athletes get it. They have the sniffles. They have to sit in bed. And then they get their two positive tests to come back, and they're okay. And, uh, you know, it just seems very nonsensical. These players, I mean, and and again, I'm not even arguing from a fan standpoint. The Big Ten players themselves want to play. Their parents want them to play. So they're okay with the safety risks here. It's just the big top heads at the top of this uh, Big Ten and the Pac-12 that are saying, no, 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 we don't want the bad publicity, but really they're getting the bad publicity now. And the only thing I feel like they're waiting for in November is, okay, what if a vaccine comes in? Because uh, President Donald Trump and Anthony Fauci have said there's probably going to be a, a, a vaccine coming out before the end of the year, if not sooner. So maybe the Big Ten's like, okay, we'll come back when the vaccine's back. Uh, that could be, you know, honestly, if they're waiting for that, that's a very understandable, rational uh, thing to do. But the thing is, if you do that, you're starting way later than everyone else, not getting in as many games in as everyone else. That probably heavily impacts their playoff chances, unless you say, OK, we're going to have these guys play only Big Ten matchups 
match the good teams up against the good teams so that you can have a more, you know, uh, complete viewpoint of who these teams are. But I mean, let's say you get to November, these other teams have already played six, seven games and Ohio State starting three weeks before bowl games. You know, I don't see how they would be in a position to say, yeah, we're a top four team in the country ready to play in these playoffs. How do you think it will impact the playoffs if they do indeed start in late November? Well, if you're like like you said, it's completely rational and understandable. If you are going to say, "I'm," we are going to not play football and put our students and our college football players, or any athletics, or any or any teams in athletics, in harm's way until there's a vaccine. These people are well connected. If they believe that there's going to be a vaccine before the end of the year, then they probably have some sources and doctors, people that are well-connected in the medical field that are telling them, look, it's going to be here. There's a lot of promising stuff going out there. There are multiple institutions that are doing their very best to get a vaccine out. Don't worry, there will be one. Okay, so they've got their sources and they're waiting on that. Fair enough. But for football, it's entirely different. Entirely, entirely different. It's either you are going to play this year or you are not. Because right. you can't just say, we're going to start in November. Because if you're the Big Ten, most of those programs will have a chance, if they can win their games, to be in the college football playoff. Because yeah. they have a strength of schedule. They, they get to play those teams. You can be Minnesota in the Big Ten and make the college football playoff. Because you play the Michigans, the Ohio States. You have the resume to do it. And when the SEC, the ACC, Big 12... Pac-12, there are Pac-12 not playing, but those conferences are going to start way before you. Then you are basically not eligible for the college football playoff, and that's going to piss off your Ohio State, your Michigans, your Wisconsin's. You know what I'm saying? So it's either oh, you're going to play or you're not going to play. There's no in between. Like yeah, you can't. That, like in college football, you can't say I'm waiting for a vaccine because at that point, you are not allowed. You are not going to be eligible for the college football playoff because that's start. That's going to be in February. That's like first week of February, last week of January, something like that. Or no, first yeah. week of January. It, yeah, it's like first yeah. week of January. I think there's bowl games in the last week of December usually uh, for like the New Year's Eve and shit like that. Excuse me uh, for stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's certainly. I mean, if you're Justin Fields sitting there, it's like, why do I even want to come back and play? Am I really going to come back and play for four games? and then go home when I'm going to be drafted in a few months. Maybe he wants to put out a little month-long showcase and say, hey, I still got it. But to me, it's like you know, there's no point in coming back at that point. And, and the same thing goes for spring ball. You're just going to have a Big Ten tournament in spring right in the middle of the NFL draft. No one's going to play. I mean, you already have um, the wide receiver at uh, LSU opting out, and they're playing games because he's probably thinking, well, the college football players are going to, uh, playoffs are going to be completely different. Uh, we might not even make it this year, and he's opting out. So, and and that's another thing. You look at how deep the SEC is. If Ohio State sits out a few weeks, you've got LSU, you've got Georgia, you've got Bama, you've got Florida. That's four teams right there, and just the SEC. That's like wow. Then you look at the ACC. Of course, Clemson, Big Twelve, of Oklahoma goes undefeated. They're in. You still had Baylor who had a great season last year. You play four games if you're Ohio State. You've got no chance if you got those other teams playing eight games and they're undefeated. Yeah, exactly. Everything you just said is accurate. And it all just comes back to just the Big Ten just made a, a quite a hasty decision. And 
Denver-Utah is such a great series. It's because Jamal Murray versus Donovan Mitchell is unbelievably fun to watch. Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell are both dropping upwards of 40 points a night. These guys are battling it out, and I love it. And, you know, you got to sit there. There's two premier centers that are playing also very good basketball. Rudy Gobert and Jokic are playing really good basketball. So it's like you got two juggernauts on each team trying to cancel each other out, and it's awesome basketball to watch. And I think Jamal Murray is too good, dude. I think that the Nuggets are going to win tonight. And I think Jamal Murray is going to drop another unreal performance. Donovan, Donovan Mitchell will, and it will come down to, like, the last couple possessions. It's going to be an awesome game. I'm excited. Now, for the Thunder Rockets, what a game by CP3 last night. Oh. He, he was just on. He had, that, he had that look in his eyes. He don't, he don't like Russell. He doesn't like James Harden. He's not like anyone on that Rockets team. There's some bad blood there. And look, bro, that Thunder-Rockets connection is toxic. Harden, yeah. R- Harden and Russ going from Oklahoma City, leaving that town to go to Houston. CB3 going from Houston to OKC. But OKC does not like the, the Rockets. If you're if you're a fan of the, of the Thunder, you are not a fan of the Houston Rockets one bit. You don't like them. So I'm rooting for the Thunder. And I think the Thunder can win. Russell Westbrook's a little too sporadic. And I actually feel like the, the Rockets were kind of a little bit better off without him. I think he should have just started fresh the next series. Um, uh, yeah. The, uh, this is what people talk about, though, with playoff Russ. You know, what that, that was the concern in the beginning of the season. It was, can Russ and Harden work together in the playoffs? And uh, it's actually really interesting. Allen Iverson, he deleted the tweet almost immediately. Uh, but he said something along the lines of Russell Westbrook sin- single-handedly lost that game for the Rockets, uh, and then he deleted it. Um, I don't know why. Maybe it's because Russell and AI are compared to each other a lot, and he doesn't want that to be out there. But when you tweet something and you're AI, it's going to be saved. Um, but regardless, I mean, I didn't actually watch the last few minutes of the game. I fell asleep. But uh, I, uh, did you watch the end of that game? Was Russell really giving that game away? I actually was on my laptop, or not my laptop, my desktop, trying so hard to, to open up on TNT. And I don't know what it is about TNT, but something just doesn't work on my computer. With Yeah, with dude, clicking. I have to watch it on the TV only, on the TV yeah, streaming the, app. Yeah, the, the website is busted completely. Yep. Like, you can't just click play. Not on Google Chrome or Safari, so. Yeah, it's pretty annoying. It's ridiculous. I hate that. But anyway, um, I, was wa- I was following the GameCast on uh, my desktop, and I did see that there were a few Russell Will, uh, Russell Westbrook turnovers. And what is D'Antoni doing? James Harden didn't have the ball in his hands. Three yeah. straight possessions. Mean, you know, like who's going to take the ball? He is the worst coach of the talented basketball rosters in the NBA. Of like the top eight rosters in the NBA, with the Rockets being one of them, he is the worst coach. He is so unbelievably bad at coaching. He doesn't even want to coach them. He doesn't coach. And I don't know when the Rockets are going to find out. Even though the Rockets are in Game 7 right now, every time they go down the floor, there's no plan. Yeah. It's like somebody else's turn to to, to take a turnaround fadeaway three. Yeah, that's that's their plan. That's all they do. Your turn to do an ISO. (laughs) Your turn. Okay, my turn for three times, James Harden. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much what it is. It's just... Uh, Billy Donovan on the Thunder is a much better basketball coach, and that's kind of the reason why the series is at seven games. Because yeah. there's no reason why the Houston Rockets with that talent and James Harden and Russell Westbrook should be in game seven right now. Yeah, none, no excuses whatsoever. So we'll shift here to the NHL. 
Uh, we'll talk about Lakers Clippers next week once they get into their series, or if we do a, a second pod this week. Um, but we'll we'll go to the NHL real quick. Lightning won their series against the Boston Bruins last night. They won 3-2 in double overtime. Won it in five games, which I did not think that was going to happen. That's a decisive series victory for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, we hope Nikita Kucherov is fine. He got high-sticked, so I'm assuming he's going to be fine. Probably just some uh, stitches that need to go on the face there. Uh, but the Tampa Bay Lightning overwhelmingly beat the Bruins in this series. And quite frankly, I think they're going to steamroll the New York Islanders in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, this is a complete Lightning team. They are playing physically, which they didn't do last year. Uh, they are getting shots on net. They're playing really tight defensively. Vasilevsky's been on his game. This this looks like the team right now that might get to the Stanley Cup final and win the cup. Yep. And that should that was the, the those were the goals this year. I wouldn't say the expectations, but that was the goal this year was to win it. And I think they can. I think that they're the best team right now in the bubble. 100%. Yeah, especially cuz Colorado right now, they won they're, last yeah, night. They're slumping three. a little bit. Yeah, they're slumping. I, well, they I slumped big time, but they put themselves in a hole. They did, and and they're so good that I still think they're alive in this series. I mean, like I don't want to sit here and say Dallas is going to win Game Six. I really don't think they will. I I still have that little feeling here. Colorado is going to come back, come back from three one, win the next two games, and go to the West Finals. Uh, and then in the other series, we have uh, Islanders up three one. I think it's the assumption they'll probably end up winning that series just been playing better than the Flyers and then Golden Knights are up 3-1 on the Canucks so they'll be going to the West Finals as well. Um do you have any quick thoughts on uh, those series? Uh I think that last night the Avalanche just needed that night. I think they needed that that um getting five goals in the first period the floodgates are open and I think that that's that that they have that belief now. They go into the locker room last night and they go into the locker room today like look we're back. The Avs are back. We just gave an Avs performance, and they're going to do it again, and they're going to force a Game 7. Now, at that point, I don't know who's going to win, but they're going to force a Game 7. They will, and it's going to be nuts. That I think the Avs the, the, tomorrow night are going to do another one of those Avs performances. They're going to put up five or six. Oh, yeah. Avs in desperation and with all firing on all cylinders. Are you kidding me? And also, you know, one of my favorite players to to watch on that Avs team is uh, uh, Zadorov. He's he's sick. Yeah, he's, he's good. He's really he's good. good. And he clears the crease. He, he's all over the place, and and um, he puts his body on the line. Uh, you know, and, and I'm not saying I'm not like I'm not gonna when I say this, I'm not saying that Russians don't normally do this, but Russians are more of like Russian defenders are more of your finesse defenders that are better at the, there are more skilled passing than Canadian and American defenders. They're more skilled, the puck handling, they're more skilled in the offensive zone and their defense is mainly with the stick Dude, that guy. He lays the wood. Like that's not really like a reminiscent of, of your normal Russian defender. Um, so he's got it all. He's a damn good defender and he's really fun to watch, but I still, you know what, dude? I'm sticking by it. Abs and seven. There you go. Yeah. Abs and seven. They're just, I mean, it's just, I, I really think that, that them going down 3-1 is the light that they needed to say, you know what? We got to really, you know, win this series now. That We have no room for failure. We have to be out there from minute one. Uh, and then that's what they did last night. They were up 5 nothing at one point. That's what they were doing to Arizona last series. Uh, so I, I, I agree with you. I think they'll win in seven. Uh, so real quick, you have like three minutes to explain, uh, and then uh, you can stay on if you want. Uh, but I'll talk about uh, MLB trade deadline for like the last ten minutes of the show. 
Um, and you could stay on, of course, if you want, CJ. But uh, I wanted you to address the uh, messy rumors of him leaving uh, Barcelona. So what do you think is going to happen with this? Uh, this it, so just for context here, Jacob, every single summer, Messi's been linked to leaving uh, for the past like three or four summers. Um, Barcelona, they they had their golden years of this roster. Um, unfortunately, their I guess you could say academy players that graduated and became club legends are getting a little older. Uh, their transfer, the guys that they've transferred in over the years, are getting a little older. Uh, Ivan Rakitic left. He was a guy that they bought about five years ago, six years ago. He was, I think, 24, 25 years old. He had an unbelievable career at Barcelona in the midfield. He's left. Uh, Busquets is just getting a little slow. He's an academy graduate with Lionel Messi. Luis Suarez is a Barcelona all-timer now. He's not going to be there next year. Um... Jordi Alba is getting a little old. Gerard Piquet getting old. The list goes on. The roster, unfortunately, is not a top five roster anymore. And if you don't have a top five roster, you're not going to win Champions League. If you don't have, I don't even think that they're a top ten roster anymore. You're not winning Champions League like that. So, unfortunately, it was one of those situations kind of reminiscent to, like like this is the best way I can explain it, Detroit Red Wings. Unbelievable for 25, 26 years. And unfortunately, their group of guys just got old, and now they have to rebuild. And it's very similar to what's going on in Barcelona right now. I think that it is very real this year that he will leave. But I'm not going to sit here and buy it just yet because it's happened four years now that he's going to leave. So I need to see it. But I guess all reports are showing that Lionel Messi is going to be a Manchester City Target, like he is a target of the club. Like, like we we are going to put an offer in. So, so offers will be made, and it just depends basically on what's accepted and what happens with this contract. So, I think that Messi, it's true that Messi's told the club I want to leave. I need to see the interest from the other teams in actual bids, and then at that point is that's when I'll say, okay, this was real, and I was wrong. Yeah, I mean, either way, if he moves, that will be a that that'll be a global impact for sports. He's one of the best athletes on the face of the earth right now, uh, the best soccer player of all time. And wherever he decides to go, it's going to be a monumental decision. Uh, so now we're going to shift into baseball here for about the final nine minutes of the show here. Um, so I'm just going to go through all the trades here, give little tidbits about it, and uh, explain what happened. So one last, I'm going to go total of all the trades that have happened over the last week. So Nick Pavetta and Connor Siebold dealt to the Boston Red Sox for Brandon Workman and Heath Hembree. Workman is actually a top 10 reliever in baseball. The Phillies needed relievers. Hembree is also a reliever. Uh, so they add those two. They also added another reliever. Uh, it's off the top of my head. Uh, oh, they added David Phelps from the Milwaukee Brewers. So a team that needed relief for a play push. They had three relievers. Really great moves from them. Nick Pavetta, a starter, really wasn't working out for them. Boston needs starting pitching. They're thinking maybe we can turn him into a three, just get some innings out of him for the rest of the year because their pitching is horrific. Um, you look at the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, they made some moves as well. Uh, they acquired Daniel Vogelbach from the Seattle Mariners. Uh, they have a lot of big boys on that team, him and Rowdy Telez. Uh, big boys play first base DH for the power there. He's been struggling a little bit, though. Vogelback has, so we'll see how that works out. Uh, they also acquired Taiwan Walker from the Seattle Mariners. 
He's really revived his career this year, starting pitcher. Uh, he's dealt with a lot of injuries, so he's going to be a nice addition to that Blue Jays rotation. They also added Robbie Ray from the Arizona Diamondbacks. I was watching MLB Network yesterday. Ken Rosenthal, Greg Amsinger did great reporting on it. They said his strikeouts per nine, 12.48 Ks per nine. That's elite level, but his walks per nine have been around seven or eight per nine. That's not acceptable. His ERA has also been through the roof, two in the sevens. So the Blue Jays' belief is we have a month here, get his arm slot back to where it was last year, and hopefully he can rebound for them. Because if he can, you look at that rotation, uh, you look at Taiwan Walker, Tanner Roark, now Robbie Ray, you have Yunjin Ryu at the top. That's four guys that you can put out there in a short playoff series. It could work for them. So nice trading for them uh, for sure. You go down the list, Franklin Barreto to the Angels in exchange for Tommy Listella. A little bit, bit of a surprising move for me. I think Listella's a vet. That's probably why Oakland went and got him. But Barreto was one of their young players that they were really positive on. So he'll go play second base for the Angels. Listella will add some nice versatility for the A's. Tommy Malone goes from the Orioles to the Braves. A lot of people thought the Braves would be making a lot more moves for higher-level pitching. Malone, kind of a three-starter, four-starter with the loss of Soroka. They certainly took a step back in the starting rotation, but Malone's there now. He's been having a nice year. Now, Mitch Moreland to the San Diego Padres. They've made a bunch of moves. They acquire Mitch Moreland from the Boston Red Sox. When you look at this on face value, you're like, wait a second, the Padres have Eric Hosmer, but wait, NL fans, this is the beauty of the DH. Mitch Moreland can now DH versus right-handed pitchers. He's been having a great year, over a 1,000 OPS against right-handed pitchers this year. Padres have four hitters that have 1,000 OPSs against right-handed pitchers. Their lineup is becoming really effective. They also made another trade for a catcher, Austin Nola, uh, with the Seattle Mariners. So they acquired Austin Nola, Austin Adams, and Dan Altavia from the Seattle Mariners. Uh, Altavia and Adams are going to slide right into that bullpen, which was already elite for the San Diego Padres. It's getting even better now with these two. Austin Nola, a significant upgraded catcher for the Padres. They had Francisco Mejia, uh, which is really interesting to see how they, they're going to do it because they also acquired Jason Castro, a vet catcher. So it looks like it's going to be Nola starting with Castro as the uh, guy who's going to fill in on backup. But Mejia is a young catcher. Had a league average year offensively last year, was a little surprised. So unless they carry three catchers on their roster, which seems a little unlikely, they're going to be mixing in Castro and Nola. But Nola's been having a great year. Uh, but they traded away Luis Torrens, Taylor Trammell, and Ty France. A lot of people have been telling me, and I'll get to the Cleveringer trade in a second, the Padres are giving away their minor league system. No, they're not. They've been giving away guys that are blocked in the major leagues. Ty France, he's a third baseman, first baseman. They have Hosmer and Machado, no bueno. They have Taylor Trammell. This is the only one you could argue, him and Josh Naylor being traded, and I'll get to the Cleveringer trade, like I said, in a second. But if Tommy Pham leaves in free agency, that obviously leaves an opening in left field for the Padres. But if you're getting a starting catcher, and I'll get to the Clevenger trade now, they acquire Mike Clevenger from the, San Diego, from the Cleveland Indians in exchange for Cal Quantrill, shortstop prospect Gabriel Arias, Joey Cantillo, Owen Miller, and pitching prospect Cal Quantrill. So you look at these trades, they're not giving away anyone that's going to be a major impact in the major leagues in the next few years. You look at Cal Quantrill. He's blocked by two guys that they didn't trade, which is great, Mackenzie Gore and Luis Patino, Mackenzie Gore being the number five prospect in Major League Baseball. Quantrill would not get a chance in that rotation. With Clevenger in there, who's going to add a huge boost, Chris Paddock, Denilson Lamette, Zach Davies, Mackenzie Gore, Luis Patino, Quantrill's just flat out blocked. You look at Josh Naylor, same thing. He's an infielder, 
blocked by Cronenworth at second base. So they're not trading anyone that's going to impact their major league team. They have guys already there. And to acquire a number one starting pitcher in Mike Clevenger, who can be a number two on this staff with Chris Paddock, although Paddock's been struggling this season a little bit, I, I think that's going to go away soon. But you look at this rotation, it's five deep. You look at this bullpen, everyone they throw out there is going to be successful. This Padres team, I think with the Los Angeles Dodgers, they're the two best teams in the National League right now. A, a lineup that now you have Nola at catcher, Hosmer at first, Cronenworth raking at second base, Tatis and Machado as your super superstar pair at shortstop and third base. You have Pham in left field, Grissom in center, Myers has come back this year and hit really well, and then you have Moreland and Profar to platoon at DH. This is a loaded offense with a great five-man deep rotation and a deep bullpen with Pomeranz and Pagan coming back eventually with the lethal Kirby Yates at the back end. Great team for the San Diego Padres and great deadline for them as well. Uh, then you look at Mike Miner going to the Oakland Athletics. Good ad for them. Little shock they didn't trade Lance Lynn. The, the mindset was, well, we could have traded Mike Miner last season when he was at max value. They didn't. Struggling this year, they got a minimal value. They held on to Lance Lynn. He's at max value this year. Little surprising they didn't give him up. They still have the offseason to do so, though. Um, now going down the list, I forgot to mention Jonathan VR to the Toronto Blue Jays as well. They needed a shortstop with Bichette out. Perfect bat to put in their switch hitter. Uh, now we get to the interesting trade here. Starling Marte to the Miami Marlins. And uh, when CJ comes back in a second, I'll ask him about this. Marte's a top five center fielder. I was a little confused, though, as to why they made this trade. The Marlins cannot seriously think that with Starling Marte, they can actually be a playoff contender. Maybe they make it, but they'll be out in one series, even with Marte, and they're giving up a starting pitcher here in Caleb Smith, which, yes, the Marlins have a lot of young starting pitching in the major leagues and in their system with Sixto Sanchez, Eliza Hernandez coming up. The Marlins do have pitching depth that they can hold on to, but Caleb Smith's a guy that's been giving them innings that they could have had under a few years of control that they're giving up for potentially a rental in Starling Marte. Now, if they pick up Marte's rent uh, option for next year, that would be $17 million. If they decide to not keep him, that's a $1 million buyout. So now with CJ here, we have about a minute and a half uh, here with the Marlins. They get that top five center fielder, Starling Marte. How are you feeling with that? They never are buyers at the deadline. They're actually buying to get talent here. Well, I think that that run of eight straight games um... – is still carrying that record right now. And I think that Derek Jeter in the front office right now are saying, look, there's a chance we can make the playoffs this year. And not only is there a chance, there's a huge, huge possibility of them making the playoffs. And I like their rotation. Sixto, Sandy, Al Sandy Alcantara is sick. Yeah, Pablo Lopez. Dude, all three of those guys are capable of winning a game for you. So now you have three starters in your rotation that the Marlins that have emerged as all pretty damn good pitchers. And now they've added a very good bat and a good a good out outfielder to to the to the lineup. So all they did really was up was upgrade. They upgraded, and that was huge to me. And I really I really like that. And I like where I, I like the fact that they're saying like, no, we're not we're we're going to hold on to these guys for the future. Screw that. Go for it. They're going for it. And as a fan, that's all you can ask for is for them to go for it. Yeah, I completely agree. And uh, sorry, Kenny, but I'm going to go about a minute or two over here because there's about two or three more trades I got to go over. Uh, so the Red Sox unloading. They got rid of Kevin Pillar, expected. Now, there's a lot of outfielders in Colorado. Pillar's a right-handed hitter. That's probably why they got him. They had almost all lefty hitters in their outfield. Pillar obviously adds that defensive value, so a great trade for them. Uh, the Cubs also made a few trades. 
They got Andrew Chafin from the Diamondbacks. Thing with him, they did a breakdown in MLB, MLB Network yesterday. They're saying if you're getting a reliever right now, you need a guy that with the new three batter rule can pitch to both sides. Chafin doesn't necessarily do that. He struggles against kind of both sides of the plate, not really a lefty specialist. So that might be a problem. But they also pick up John Osick from the Boston Red Sox, another lefty reliever. Don't give me the Cubs, though, as being a threat in the NL. Their bullpen still sucks. They didn't get a premier reliever. I'm not scared of that pen, that Cubs bullpen. Don't think they're going deep in the playoffs. I think the Dodgers and the Padres are better than them. Uh, Cameron Mabin also going to the Cubs. Really feel good for that guy. I like him a lot. They also picked up Jose Martinez uh, as two guys that they can put in against lefties in that lineup. And, and now the Reds, I'll finish out here. Um, they picked up Brian Goodwin from the Angels to play left field. Senzel out with injury. Aquino really struggling. They needed a guy to put out there. Uh, really good pickup for Goodwin. They also picked up Archie Bradley, a closer from the Diamondbacks. The Reds, I've talked with Steve. They've been one of the most disappointing teams in baseball this year with a great starting rotation, great offense, but that bullpen's been spoiling games. They get Archie Bradley here. Get him in that ninth inning. You get those other relievers to take a breather, push them an inning back. You now have Luis Castillo available for multiple innings instead of the closer role. I think the Reds could really go on a run here and push themselves in the playoffs. And then you look at the Mets. They picked up Chirinos from the Texas Rangers. They need catching help. Miguel Castro, uh, they need a bullpen help. And then they get the Todd father, Todd Frazier, back uh, to play a little third base against lefties. So that's how the trade deadline left. Biggest trade, obviously, Mike Clevenger to the Padres. That's a monumental move. And like I said, uh, Steve and I will do a trade deadline full podcast breakdown uh, later this week on the normal pod. And you can check that out on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and a bunch of other podcast platforms as well. Follow us on Twitter at StrictSportsFAU. Uh, and if you're interested, uh, I'm the sports director now at FAUL Radio. If you are interested in coming to FAUL Radio, uh, getting in on some shows, calling some games this year, uh, hit me up on Twitter. Uh, we're open for people to come in and help us out. Uh, we really want to expand this sports program here at FAU, and uh, we have some potential things working uh, here in the future as well. Nonstop Sports with Sawyer uh, and JP airs on Wednesdays from 3 to 4, so you can check that out tomorrow. They're also on Spotify. Be sure to check them out. And, uh, yeah, that'll do it. Also, by the way, Instagram and Facebook at Strictly Sports FAU. We'll be back on our uh, FAU All Radio Show next Tuesday from 4 to 5 p.m. And like I said, uh, we're trying to do one podcast a week on Owl Radio, one podcast a week uh, normally on, on the podcast. And then I might even start doing some daily pods on the podcast platforms as well with all these sports going on. There's so much that only doing two a week is kind of a detriment to how much is going on. And uh, I'll also be launching within the next two weeks uh, a hockey podcast, a Yankees podcast, a New York Rangers podcast, and a baseball podcast. Uh, so four new podcasts that are kind of tailored to specific subjects. And I know some people are like, oh, I only want to kind of listen to one thing. This will kind of help separate that. And uh, those will not be on Owl Radio. Those will be on the podcast platforms. So when those are released, I'll let you guys know as well. Uh, and for this edition of Strictly Sports, for CJ Uri, I am Jacob Brown, and we'll see you guys next week.